Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, hi. Good day. And welcome to the latest version of Philippians, uh, the study of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians 3, chapter 1, verse 11 today. I'm glad everyone is here and able to make it. It's... Um, been a fun start to the new year. I hope the uh, the same for you. And uh, before we get started, I wanted to bring up one thing. A, a lot of you people listen to this in um, video originally, but we also do a podcast version of this. So if you're ever interested in listening to this as a podcast, you can go to the Woodridge podcast and you'll see this along with many other Bible studies and sermons and be able to see and listen to via any of your podcast providers. So we're pretty sure we're on most all podcast providers. So always go check that out. So you don't always have to watch this in video. You can also listen to this via your favorite uh, podcast provider. Anyways, as we get going here, uh, last time we did wrap up Chapter 2 by discussing two exemplary models of what it is to have the same mindset of Christ. That was uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, we were introduced, uh, I guess, before we get too far with Epaphroditus, we were, I guess this is the first time we were actually introduced to Epaphroditus. Uh, Timothy we know about from Acts as well as from other places. Epaphroditus this is pretty much the only time that we ever read about Epaphroditus in the New Testament or anywhere in the Bible, actually. Uh, we know of him as being a leader and a messenger for the uh, Philippian church, uh, much like Phoebe was to the Roman church where she has provided a letter to take to Rome and to read to the church there, or churches there, and... Epaphroditus did a similar thing, but also reporting back to Paul. And we could assume Phoebe probably had some sort of report to Paul as well. But this isn't about Romans, about Philippians. Uh, we also, like I said, got a little bit more information on who Timothy was. Like we, we know him from the pastoral epistles for 2 Timothy. Uh, we know him from some of the other uh, Pauline epistles. And of course we know him from, from Acts as well. And both of the men we know are people who are regarded as uh, pretty much of being of the same mindset of Christ. The mindset being that of humility and obedience. Uh, today we're going to start with uh, chapter 3 and go through verses uh, 1 through 11. And then we'll, next time we'll, we'll do the rest of chapter 3. There's really only about three more weeks of Philippians after, um, after this one today. So let me uh, start with, uh, just. I'm going to read 1 through 11 most likely. And then uh, we'll, we'll start rolling through that. So let's, uh, let's get going here. So Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brethren, or brothers and sisters, depending on your translation, rejoice in the Lord, who write the same thing again. There's no trouble for me, and is a safeguard for you. Very interesting that he's writing finally just halfway into the, into the letter, but there's more to that. We'll discuss what that is here in a few minutes. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. If we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is the law found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I think we've heard that verse many times before. 
Uh, more than that, we've heard all these many times before, but that seems to be a kind of a popular one. Uh, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Those two verses are pretty good. And then you go into the next one. This is actually a very long sentence. Verses 7, 8, 9, into 10, and 11. It's just one big sentence. And may be found in him, this is verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> there, there's a lot to what Paul is saying right there. and We're only, much like a lot of this class, uh, we're only able to touch a, a kind of a high-level piece of it. Because uh, we're not, uh, not going to use a lot of Greek. We're going to use a little bit of Greek today. Uh, but we're not, we're not digging deep, deep into the Greek. Uh, we, of course, we like to provide a lot of context when we uh, do a lesson like this or do any sort of uh, Bible study. You always want to know the historical context of when it was written, so we get a little bit of that. Uh, but there's just the, the, the types of uh, theologies that have come out of that, uh, this, that scripture right there, verses 7 through 11. Uh, the amount of uh, doctrines that have been created, ideas, traditions, uh, beliefs that have developed over time. We're, we're only going to cover, like I said, a... Uh, a, a very high level view of that and what that does is it should encourage you to dig a little bit deeper into these through your own study beyond what we're doing right now uh, so as we go into verse 1 it seems here Paul is heading to the conclusion of the, of the letter to the church in Philippi though we know, like I said, we're only about halfway through this possibly we have uh, reached the peak of the letter some would say we, we've hit the, the, the high note and now uh, for the most part it's all the way downhill and so we'll slowly make our conclusion uh, or more likely it was just a transition from the last point he just made uh, to the next which I think is probably your more realistic word uh, usage here uh, the word you hear is loipon uh, which from, from Greek and is used to mean uh, the rest uh, or the other but not finally and, and sometimes even henceforth could be used so maybe uh, in some of our older uh, versions you could see instead of finally you could see henceforth as we move forward. Uh, he includes all the brothers and sisters here. What that is telling us, it's not, a, it's not an argument of, of men and women at this point. It's, what he's telling us is it's all about all believers. All believers, all Christians, all those who follow Christ, no matter your uh, uh, male, female, no matter if you're slave or free, no matter uh, if you're a Jew or Gentile, uh, he's showing it to all, all people who are believers. And what he's doing for them is that he's giving them an imperative that they must rejoice. Uh, they must rejoice in who they are in Christ and who Christ is. Uh, for him. They, must, they must have find joy in their suffering, which is something that is hard for us to do many times. <clears throat> but we understand that joy in suffering or joy in rejoicing, rejoicing is for all followers of Christ. And it is part of developing, it's part of spiritual uh, formation, I guess, a good way to look at that. Uh, formation of being a follower of Christ. Uh, Paul is repeating himself, and he, he admits it here, obviously for emphasis, because it is so important uh, to, for the people to remember to keep with him. Uh, and another option that we could see from this, from this first verse, 
uh, could be that he had written another letter to them in the past. We only have one letter to the, to the church of Philippi, but that doesn't mean that he didn't write others. Uh, and possibly he had also, another option to that is maybe he didn't read other, write other letters, but maybe he could repeat, be repeating something that he had spoken to them when he was in Philippi, or at least the region of Macedonia last time uh, he was there, and now he wants to put it down on parchment. Uh, it's not hard for Paul to uh, write this down again, and, and he'll do it as long as it takes, uh, but it is hard to live this way. So, so the more he writes it or repeats this, the better it will be for that church. The better it will be for us to be able to see what he is trying to write, because we're so quickly uh, able to forget what it means to rejoice in Christ and to live lives of joy. And so he wants them to remember that, especially as they live underneath the oppression of, of the Roman rule and what else is, whatever else is going on with them, uh, not only from the, the Romans, but from uh, the, the Jewish uh, people, from the, the pagan groups that have been trying to infiltrate uh, their group, many other things. Um, the safeguard he speaks of here uh, shows of his desire <clears throat> for the church to be healthy and to spread the gospel and to grow spiritually. He, he wants nothing else but for them to succeed in their faith. And that's something we know about Paul and his relationship with the church of Philippi is that he's very tightly connected with them and has a deep uh, uh, level of compassion for them as well. What he is repeating... Uh, points to be, or is, is a, literally, it's a, you could look at it as a, um, a bridge to verse 2. After the reminder for them to rejoice, they're able to, uh, to be discerning and wise in their dealings. Uh, so they are to beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, which he'll dig a little bit deeper more into that into uh, verse 3 and 4. But as we're in verse 2, uh, we are aware that there is division in the church. Based on how Paul has responded in this letter after getting word uh, from Epaphroditus, that allows us to be able to kind of have that understanding. Uh, we know that there were false teachers and people who do not have the same mindset. Again, mindset's coming up, which is something that Paul wants them to have the same mindset of Christ. The people who are coming in do not have the same mindset as Paul or of Christ. Uh, some would say they were Jewish Christians uh, that he has dealt with, dealt with in the past, uh, such as what we know from when he was in Corinth and Galatia, uh, which could be why he is using the article the, as in they know who these people are are the dogs, the dogs that he has spoken of them before to him, to them, they should know who it is. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the people who are infiltrating Galatia and Corinth uh, were there yet, but maybe it was more of a warning that that could happen and could come at them at, at, at any time. Uh, it seems that, that Philippi has not developed, uh, like I said, as far as Corinth and Galatia, uh, but Paul wanted to keep that from happening. He wanted to keep or lack of a better word, he wanted to keep the bad guys out and keep them from really even causing more issues within the church. Because we know that it wasn't just, just the guys in Galatia and Corinth who could be coming in. Uh, there are also people who were coming in and they are speaking the gospel in, a, in possibly even a good way, because he mentions that earlier, that they're doing it for their own gain, but it still spreads the gospel forward. Uh, but they're probably doing it out of their own selfish ambitions, and so that's not a reason to spread the gospel either, even though that continues to happen to this day. Uh, also, before we go to verse 3, we could also possibly conclude that Paul is concerned with um, outside influences like such as the, uh, the imperial cult, uh, the pagan, the priest practice, the pagan priest practices, uh, as well as Judaizers or, or Jews who are trying to manipulate new Christians who are trying to say, hey, you can't be a follower of our God unless you, um, <clears throat> unless you become circumcised. 
So they had a lot against them. And Paul was very concerned about the idea of the, the syncretism of the faith, which is very much could happen. And some believe, and I think Paul was concerned about that happening as well as to where, um, if you could think of it this way, so the imperial cult had a significant amount of uh, pressure and power over the Christians. And at one point, if you remember, because Christianity comes out of Judaism, one thing to think about is that the Jews were actually a protected religious group under the imperial cult. And so they could worship and do, for the most part, what they want, as long as they weren't causing any problems, which is why when you go back to the Gospels and you see that interaction between the Pharisees, Sadducees, and uh, the, the, the Roman leaders, Roman governors, Roman priests, because there's an agreement there. Now, the, the debate was, are these Christians, are they, are they just a piece of the Jewish belief, or are they not? And the thing that was happening at this point is that it was, they're not. They're not part of the Jewish belief. They're not, they're not part of Judaism, even though we know that there's that tie uh, through that. There's that common thread that runs through it. So what was happening then is that some people are like, well, if I, hey, if I just go get circumcised, uh, then, then they'll... Then, then it's like I can have my cake and eat it too. I can I get circumcised, which is a really painful way to want to fit in, but it was something that some people had seen were willing to do. And Paul did not want them to do that because it wasn't the right way to do things. Uh, it, it wasn't the healthy, uh, spiritually healthy way to do things. Uh, his use of dogs here would throw some of us off based on how we think of dogs as literally people nowadays, especially we have a lot of fur babies and fur parents, which I, I still find to be odd. But anyways... Uh, it's it, during that time dogs were never thought of as cute cuddly uh, as man's best friend by any stretch uh, and so they were actually looked at it by and disgust and disdain and they were known to be scavengers they travel in packs and uh, they would typically become very violent and there's a rever uh, reference to that in Acts uh, chapter 20 verse 29 as, as ravenous wolves and that was uh, so to be referred to as a dog was not a a thing of thinking, oh, there's a labradoodle. He's quite smart and handsome of an animal. No, as though there's that vagrant, that horrible, horrible uh, beast, and he's evil, mean, and violent. Uh, one more thing before moving forward: uh, the evil workers may have not been trying to be intentionally evil, based on what we know. Uh, they again could have been intentionally deceitful. Uh, they most likely saw themselves as teachers and doers of righteousness. Uh, when in fact they were not. And so there's the people who thought they were on the right page, but they actually weren't. And then there are the people who thought they were on the right page and kind of were, but they're kind of doing it for their own self, uh, self-worth self and, uh, you know, to, to help themselves. Uh, but that's, that's again, not what Paul is referring to. So, uh, anyways, verses 2 and 3 continue. The mutilation of the flesh and those who are the circumcision is the main contrast that Paul makes here. Remember that... Uh, this is most likely mainly a Gentile church. Of course, we don't, do know there was Jewish influence in there. Uh, though, though we know there were uh, Jews in, uh, in the area, we also know there were Jewish Christians in the area, and they would be familiar with the idea of circumcision. Just Gentiles would not be as much, but Paul's still able to, to bring this in. <clears throat> and the issue, of course, like I've, I've mentioned briefly, is that the issue that Paul is dealing with is that we have the Judaizers, who believe that in order to follow God, you must be circumcised, uh, which we know that Paul at this point disagrees with. 
And you can go see another reference to that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, where, talk, where Paul talks about for neither circumcision nor circumcision, blah, blah, blah. So you can get a lot more information about that there, but also be able to understand what Paul is trying to get to hear about. Again, there's not a separation of that physical mark or not having that physical mark. That's not what it's about anymore. He uses some interesting usage uh, words uh, for circumcision here. Even though we see the word twice here, it's actually two different versions of it in Greek. The first time we see it is katatome. Uh, kata is the... Um, is the uh, is the, the the prefix to tome? Tome is the root, so tome is is where both of them uh, come from. One is kata and one is para, and it's well. Let me explain kata first. Is uh, it, it it was used to promote circumcision to a point, but actually it translated as uh, the kata part as as mutilation or to cut off or to cut down or off, and that's where we get the prefix kata from. Uh, this could be Paul, Paul possibly pointing to Leviticus twenty one twenty where those with uh, cut off, this, forgive me for the word, but I'm about to say, but for cut off penises shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, which is something that was written back in Leviticus 21, which is something here is, if you're not circumcised, you cannot be with the Lord. So that's, that may be what Paul's trying to get here. And it may seem very crass what Paul's doing, and to our modern ears to say that word is not a good, not, it does feel crass uh, or unnecessary. But what he's trying to do here, and sometimes we kind of, Sugarcoat this is Paul is trying to make a very strong point regarding the incorrect belief of those who are circumcised or the only ones who are allowed in the kingdom of God. Because people were literally cutting themselves to think that thinking that they would then become members of the kingdom of God or be, be able to be in the kingdom of God. So it's very significant what Paul's trying to say, very important that he makes this point. And so sometimes when he makes this point, he's not always politically correct in how he makes it, and he, he says he says what he says. Uh, the more positive uses of uh, circumcision here is peritome, which is much less masculine. It means to cut around a much gentler form that does not uh, cause injury or harm. So in a stroke of a pen, what Paul Prue, for the most part, does here is completely changes what it means to be circumcised in the kingdom of God, where in Hebrew history it was an external sign of an eternal covenant with God in Israel. Paul has now changed that through the last verse that, he just, that we just see in his letter here. So... It's not about that anymore is what we're saying. And so Paul is setting up the next part of the verse and as we go into verse 4 to show that those who require circumcision, those who injure themselves, uh, emasculate themselves, are not those who are true followers of God. He then goes on to list how they are different. What it is to be now a true follower of God versus what the Old Testament said related to the people of Israel having the mark that set them apart as God's people. Two different things that are still God's people, but... You don't have to do that anymore, is what Paul is trying to communicate to them here. And so the ones that he lists here, is they're, they're the ones who worship in the Spirit of God, which it seems is not the Holy Spirit, but God, the Spirit of God, is different from the Holy Spirit. Again, don't have time to go into that, but there's, there's a little bit of difference there. Uh, boasting Christ Jesus, not an arrogant boast, as, as in we are better, but that we know Christ Jesus. Paul would be willing to boast in Christ, but he's not willing to boast in himself. <clears throat> no confidence in the flesh. We trust in God and the power of Christ, not in the power and abilities of humans. The use of the word here uh, of flesh, uh, the, the Greek being sarx, S-A-R-X, is a very undesirable use of the term for flesh. Paul insists that uh, he is not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Uh, 
there, there was a time where he didn't always say that. So if you go back to 2 Corinthians uh, 5.16, Paul had a different view regarding according to the flesh for both individuals as for Christ. I encourage you to go back and kind of look at that and contrast what he's saying here versus what was said there. As we go into verse 4, Paul begins to provide a bit of a resume uh, to make his point about human abilities and accomplishments. And as we're about to see, he's going to provide a summary of his uh, curriculum uh, vitae uh, to show that when his, with his credentials, and in worldly terms, he could easily boast and has far more superior credentials than those Jews who are causing issues in the church. He, he's not bragging here, but he is making a point that though he has the background to boast, he could easily be the most arrogant guy in the room, uh, or the smartest guy in the room, he certainly knows that his powers and abilities could and never compare to those of Christ. Remember that Paul is aware of people coming into the church who are not teaching what he taught. They're causing confusion and other issues leading to divisiveness, and Paul is trying to, again, through this entire part of the letter, is trying to keep that divisiveness from happening. By saying that he has, has more confidence than the others is to put his credentials about those, above those who are misleading the church there. It continues on in verses 5 and 6. Uh, it is the official start of the uh, autobiography of Paul, providing a timeline of his life from the very beginning to where we are today. Uh, seven in total, uh, four items that we receive, that he has received, and three, you'll notice there's seven things that he lists here, Four that he's received and three things that he has achieved. Uh, he even brings up the skeletons in his own closet as he goes through this list uh, and how he used to persecute the church, which I imagine people in, uh, in Philippi uh, were aware of at one point, that he was, especially in the region of Macedonia, were very aware of what Paul used to be when he was Saul and he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, one reason he is bringing this up seems to be him showing that God has changed him. There has been a transformation. And then there is an ongoing transformation with Paul. It's, just, it's not a one-time thing. Just like for anyone who becomes a follower of Christ, it just doesn't happen in your set. It's transformative over your life. And as, as you grow in your, in your walk with Christ, you grow in your spiritual transformation. You're transformed. You're changed. And so he's being transformed by the power of God. Uh, this should be encouraging for those who are listening. It should be encouraging for us to know that we will be transformed, and we are being transformed by the power of God. <clears throat> uh, some of the issues here that we'll bring up are just some of the things that he lists here related to the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, we really don't know a lot about Paul's family tree. We do know the tribe of Benjamin was held in high esteem in the Old Testament. One example of, the, of, the, is that, of that is that of the 12 patriarchs, uh, Benjamin was born in the land of promise. So he was the only one that was born in the land of promise. So that sets him up a little bit. Also, Paul's Hebrew name came from uh, Kish. So Saul, which was Saul, as you know. His Hebrew name was Kish. His Greek name was Paul, uh, which is Kish, uh, a, a Benjamite king. And, and one other point is that the tribe of Benjamin gave Israel its first king. As a Hebrew of Hebrews uh, is one more star in Paul's crown. Uh, as or Paul's Jewish pedigree is probably a better way to say that. Uh, he was far from a proselyte. He was not someone who uh, eventually made his way into the Jewish faith. He was born a Hebrew and, you know, was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a real deal, straight out of the seed of Abraham. And if you go back to a, uh, Romans 11.1 1, to get a little bit more reference to that. Uh, as a Pharisee, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was taught by the best, who was uh, the teacher Gamaliel, which we know about a little bit from, from Acts. And he did everything that was considered righteous according to Hebrew law. 
in Pharisee beliefs. You probably say he was the poster child of the Pharisees or Jewish leaders uh, of that time. As a Pharisee, he is a separate one, which is what Pharisee means, and Pharisees were known as separate ones. The, the word being Pharisaeos. Uh, it appears nearly a hundred times in the New Testament, that word does, but this is the only place it appears outside Acts and the Gospels. Is here when Paul is referencing himself as being one of those very people. The only other two Pharisees who are actually named, because I know you want to know this, uh, besides Paul, is Nicodemus and Gamaliel. <clears throat> There's a lot more to the Pharisees that can be discussed. The Pharisees versus Sadducees, we'll do a little bit more of that, but, but that is not what the scope of the study is, because that could take several weeks to, to go through all that. But I do want to add one more point. It, it could be said that Paul brings up the Pharisee to contrast with the Sadducees, the other priestly class that did not believe in resurrect, res, resurrection, angels, or the Spirit, which is why they're sad, you see. <laughs> so anyways, uh, that is, you know, that's just a big difference that we know between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and that's all we'll go with that today. But uh, that's probably why he brings that up, to contrast uh, what, what the other teachings of that other priestly group was. Uh, Paul is known for his zeal, as he brings up here, uh, as we continue on, well beyond him just mentioning here, which may explain why he was such a well-known and respected Pharisee. Uh, he even admits in Galatians 1.4 that it was his zeal that allowed him to advance Judaism amongst his peers, or advance to, to, to I guess, become an advance among his peers, to, to be a leader of a Pharisee of Pharisees. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Paul's zeal led, this thought to be, uh, led his thought to be accomplishment of removing the cancer of the church. Remember, he, that was his goal early on in Acts, that he was wanting to remove this cancer, that the sect that had grown in the church, in, the, in, in Judaism, and he wanted to remove them. He wanted to truly believe that, he, he truly believed uh, that these, these Christians were scourged and must be removed to keep Judaism healthy. He was doing what he thought was the righteous thing and correct thing to do. He was not doing that out of an evil, mean spirit. He was doing it because he thought of, of many other zealots that had come before him, he was doing the right thing. He also saw early on that Jesus was obviously accursed by God because he was uh, put on a cross and, and crucified. And if we have to remember, even though a lot of us like to wear crosses or have tattoos of crosses or have crosses all over our house, uh, it's, it was very, very uh, bad to have your leader crucified. Because that was for thieves and uh, treasonous people and really, really bad people. So to say that your leader is now on a cross, uh, that, was, that was really the lowest of the low. And so how, in Paul's mind, how could these people, they, these people must be just as bad as this person who's put on the cross to, to, and so he must get rid of them. And so that's, that's where he's coming from with that. Some would say, and this is a little bit lighter, is that he may have, he may have just been like, hey, this new sect that's popped up because it happened all the time. You guys are just a little too lax on the Hebrew laws. And I just want to get rid of you because you're just causing more problems than you're worth. Again, that's much lighter, but I think it has more to do on what uh, him, who's him early on seeing who he thought Jesus was based on Jesus being hung on the cross. So he continued through the tradition of Jewish zealots, taking extreme, extreme action to show their devotion to Yahweh and to the Torah. What does Paul mean when he says uh, that he was blameless, uh, that he was blameless or, or faultless? 
uh, relative to the law, I think is where that's coming from. Uh, he does not claim to be without sin. That's not where he's coming from when he says he's blameless. Uh, he is, but he does believe that he has maintained the precepts and the procedures set forth in the Torah and without any blame or blemish. And that's where he's coming from with that. As we continue on, moving forward into verses 7 through 9, a very long sentence that doesn't quite end there, it is though he was at the pinnacle of his game, is what Paul is saying here, Though he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the leader of the leaders, uh, the priest of the priests, uh, and had accomplished so many things, all of it that he had accomplished was worthless in comparison to Christ once he had met Christ on the road to Damascus and became, be- began his transformation process. The Redeemer of Paul and the Redeemer of the entire creation is what he realized that he was persecuting when he was persecuting Christ. We know Paul is a powerful man as a Pharisee and had significant influence as a post-Pharisee, as a Jewish Christian. Yet this power influence was nothing to him. All the power came from Christ, not from him. So as he transitioned from a Pharisee of Pharisees to a great leader within the early Christian church, he still knew that he was nothing without Christ. And something that we have to remember too is that without Christ, no matter how high and mighty and power and popular we think we are becoming, Uh, as as either serving Christ or whatever work we're doing that is tied uh, to to the lives that we have been given, it is from God, it is from Christ that that is given to us. Because of Jesus Christ being Lord, Paul has lost all things. Uh, He is not specific, but we do know for sure that he has lost his standing within Judaism for the sake of Christ. So as a powerful leader, as a powerful Pharisee leader, priest, uh, he most likely had a lot of financial loss when he made this transition, as well as a lot of relational loss. So you think he's, he's not just losing, he, he's losing a lot here. It's, it's material things, it's spiritual things, it's relationships, uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, but he, he understands, though, and he wants those who are listening to let her to know that, they, that even though they may be leaders in the church or have formal, informal influence in the church, uh, it is nothing compared to the influence of Christ. Uh, There's nothing compared to the power of Christ, and they should rely on Christ and not themselves. Looking specifically here at verse 7, whatever things we count as gain uh, for the sake of Christ, most likely this could be referred to as a conversion of Paul from seeing what he thought he had accomplished was all lost, or what he thought gain was not. Uh, So this was about his accomplishments. But in verse 8, he expands... To all things. So if you look into verse 8, he brings up his suffering that he has faced as a follower of Christ. He has not only lost his significant power that he had as a Pharisee, but he had been beaten and imprisoned and stoned. He had suffered greatly. He, he again is showing what it is to model Christ. Uh, the humility and the obedience it took to take to suffer as followers of Christ. Even the suffering is nothing compared to the redeeming power of Christ. And so these people can relate to that. As though they're suffering, nothing that they are going through is, is, is greater than the redeeming power of Christ. As we go into verse 9, he references the Jewish law. They're about midway through. And, and how the following of the law is different from the faith they have in Christ. Uh, it is one thing to follow the law. It is another to have faith in Christ that will lead to suffering. Anyone can follow the rules. And that's okay to follow the rules, but the, the, the following of Christ is a whole different level of faith, uh, is what he's trying to say here. All this righteousness that he thought he had to obtain from mastering the Hebrew law, all the righteousness that comes from being a Pharisee is nothing 
compared to the the righteousness of Christ. The same for us again today. No matter how righteous we think we are, how good we think we are, it is nothing compared to the righteousness of Christ. And he continues and he makes it, he is a very extreme and quite explicit word. And we, we kind of laugh or uh, chuckle sometimes. I've heard people, uh, when you read the word dung and, and what he uses here, rubbish is another word, depending on your, your translation. And, but it would have caught the attention of those who are following along because that is another extreme point that Paul is making here. Uh, just like he made an extreme point about the dogs back in, in verse 2, he is making that point here again about how, how intensely, the, the, how in, the intensity of the point that he is trying to make. And, and it's Paul's desire for them to understand how useless and how bad everything is compared to the righteousness of Christ. As we continue on through here, as we continue through verse 9, uh, he provides a, I believe, what I believe to be a summary of explanation of what it is to be a found in Christ. It required him to reject the pursuit of righteousness based upon the law. Uh, we know from his past that he excelled in the law. All things changed on the road to Damascus, at this, that, as we know. At this point, all of his perceptions are changed when he, hits, when he is encountered by Christ on the road to Damascus. Uh, he rejects the righteousness that comes from the law, but fully embraces the righteousness that comes from Christ. Uh, Paul did not seek uh, gain in Christ through the law, but through faith in Christ, whom he regarded as a righteousness of God for those who believe. So he provides that uh, quick summary there of what it is to be found in Christ. As we look at the last two verses here, verses 10 and 11, Paul wants uh, to, mo- uh, wa- to model the life of Christ by being in Christ, by knowing. This is not just a knowledge of Christ. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of beings, demons, you name it, angel, angelic type beings who know uh, who Christ is. But they don't have that deep understanding, deep uh, connection, affection, knowledge uh, of who Christ is. It's beyond how you would know a spouse or a child or a parent. This is a, uh, I mean, it's similar to that, but this is a, a very intimate knowledge of who Christ is. Is and I, I think we can we can look at our relationships with our spouses and our children as good models of what it looks like to have a deep knowing of someone else. Uh, but this is just going at another continues on through another level. Uh, and as we know, there are many who know who Christ is, but there are not many who know the inti- at an intimate level. Uh, and that's the way what Paul is trying to emulate here and be able to show. Uh, again, this points back to the. Uh, humility and obedience of Christ. Uh, as Christ humbled himself and was obedient to the will of God, even to death, he has the same desire. He does not want to be dead in Christ, but alive in a renewed and resurrected body. His desire was to be uh, conformed to his death, while he at the same time to be transformed by his life. So he has died to all things, but he has been transformed by the life and resurrection of Jesus uh, but what Paul is doing here is similar to what he did back in chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. He links life with death. Uh, through this, they are offered life now and a future hope, though they must die to themselves and die to the things of the world. Uh, we cannot miss out on Paul, what Paul said <coughs> related to the, the resurrection there in, in verse 10. Uh, this shows us that Paul is, is certain, but at the same time not arrogant in what he believes about Christ. He is also not acting like he, spirit, he is spiritually entitled based on his works and deeds. He seems to know that the plans of God have not fully unfolded 
and that there is a good and glorious future Christ ahead. And that's, that's as you look from verse 10 into uh, verse 11. We, we should follow what Paul is modeling here. He is not premature and pretentious. Uh, Paul's letters show us that, th- that the time between the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of Christians should have a tempered anticipation, but not act as if it's already happened. It's God's own timing in which that happens. The transformation in which we grow. A lot of times we think it's either a, a box we check or we think it's a sprint to the finish, but actually it's a marathon. A, a life modeling Christ is a, is a marathon and there's some really great parts of the marathon, and there's some really hard, tiring parts of the marathon. But eventually we get to the, the end where what, what, what Paul is pointing to here, of that, that future resurrection. Uh, and so he's beyond the resurrection of Christ at this point. As we know, Christ is resurrected. But the resurrection of, of the world, a renewed world, a renewed people, a renewed creation. So there we are. We have finished... Uh, the first section of chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Next time we'll do 12 through 21. It'll be quite a, quite a, a deal. And so I, I hope everyone uh, has a good rest of their week. Again, remember, if, if this is something that you want to share with other people, we have a lot of ways to do that via the podcast that we have. If you go just search for Woodridge Baptist Church on any of your main podcast providers. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.